The Jumbo Package NFL Podcast is sponsored by Batavia's Original Pizzeria. Paulie and I named this podcast The Jumbo Package because we're both huge football fans and also because we're both big dudes who love to eat. And since both of us grew up in western New York, that means we've enjoyed food from Batavia's Original too many times to count. Batavia's Original was founded in 1947 and has been serving Batavia and all of western New York unbelievable Italian food ever since. Batavia's Original welcomes families, sports teams, other large groups, and even third graders on their very first date with their elementary school girlfriend. That's right. 17 years ago, I went on my first date at Batavia's Original. If you're a Western New Yorker or even just driving through Western New York, you aren't eating right if you aren't stopping at Batavia's Original. Batavia's Original, the official sponsor of the Jumbo Package NFL Podcast. Welcome to the 2019 premiere episode of the Jumbo Package NFL Podcast. I'm Sonny Giuliano. Joining me is my co-host, Paul Clark. We are excited to be back for the new year and for the stretch run of the 2018 NFL season. Eleven games are left. One team will be left standing in a month. Paulie, are you ready? It's playoff time, baby. It's playoff time. I mean... Well, the matchups we got this weekend, it might be the best wild card weekend I could remember in a long time. I absolutely agree with you. I can't wait to get into the games. It's very fitting that we have four really good games the opening weekend of the playoffs after a really, really compelling regular season. Um, Absolutely. Some some new blood, uh, some really good teams, some unpredictability down the stretch of the season. Um, I am absolutely amped up to talk about these four playoff matchups and very excited for the next few weeks to, to break down all of these playoff games. Um, before we get to that, I would like to put a bow on the regular season. Um, to do that, we need to talk about, well, first we need to give out our last weekly worst awards. The week 17 weekly worst. So we had quite a few candidates this week. Yeah. Um, there's Josh Johnson, who, and we've covered him a little bit, but completely underqualified to be a starting quarterback in the NFL in 2018. He wasn't qualified to be one in 2011 when he should have been at his peak. Um, he was 12 for 27, 91 yards, an interception, completely overmatched by the Philly defense. Uh, there was Deshaun Kaiser coming in for an injured Aaron Rodgers, who cost me a bunch of money in DraftKings. Um, he was 16 for 35, 132 yards, one interception, not good. Ryan Tannehill, who could have gone back-to-back, -back, he was awful against Buffalo, 18 for 31, 147 yards, two interceptions, though he did have a touchdown catch. And Blaine Gabbert, on Sunday Night Football, the, the season on the line for Tennessee, he delivered a typical Blaine Gabbert performance, 18 for 29, 165 yards, a touchdown, 
two interceptions. I did not go with any of those four. Blaine Gabbert has your man. Blaine Gabbert has always been my man, um, and he was not good. But I want a different direction. I want you to hear me out. Okay. My number one nominee this week is Kirk Cousins. And here, here's why. Because he was awful. Yes. <laughs> That's the main reason. I mean, that, that'll, that'll put you in contention. So he was 20 for 33, 132 yards, a touchdown, um, a 79.4 pass rating. Statistically, he was better than all the guys we mentioned. But here, here's the issue. As a Chicago Bears fan, I was never at one point scared of him on Sunday. And here's why he's the weekly worst in my eyes. Last year, the, the Vikings made the NFC Championship with Case Keenum. And uh, we, we should mention that as limited as Case Keenum is and as limited as everyone thought he was last year, statistically, here's what he did. Almost 3,600 yards completed 68% of his passes, a 98.3 passer rating, 22 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 3 game-winning drives, and 11-3 and record. Um, and that doesn't include the second-half comeback that he had on Monday Night Football against the Bears, um, that he came in for Sam Bradford halfway through the game. Kirk Cousins this year, 4,300 yards, so he throws the ball around a little bit more, 70% completion, a little bit better, 99.7 pass rating, basically identical. He has 11 more turnovers than Keenum does last year. And he's 8-7-1 in comparison to Keenum's 11-3. Now, across the board, you could say, okay, maybe Kirk Cousins is the better quarterback, and uh, I think a lot of people would argue that. However... Since 2016, Case Keenum has made $42 million. Kirk Cousins has made $128 million in that time. In that time, what's that? I said he's supposed to be the better quarterback. He is supposed to be the better quarterback, but in that time, Case Keenum is 21-18 and 18 as a starter. Kirk Cousins, 23-23-2. So... Are, are are these two quarterbacks that different? And are the Vikings from last year compared to this year all that different? You could say that there's a drop-off from Pat Shermer to John DeFilippo and Kevin Stefanski, offensive coordinator. The offensive line wasn't as healthy this year as they were last. But to the me... The line coach died before the season started. I didn't want to hit on a grim note, but yes, you oh, bring that up. <laughs> I mean, uh, he, he did. You're right. I mean, that that plays a huge role in that, it, right, for sure. Right, right. But to me, the biggest difference, believe it or not, was a quarterback. Kirk Cousins is fine. He is a league average starting quarterback in my eyes, but he's being paid like he's one of the league's elite, and he was just not. Here's my yeah, point. It actually, right. He is 4-25 in his career against teams with winning records. It got to the point where early in the fourth quarter, as asked backwards as this is going to sound, I was actually kind of hoping that Nagy would pull our starters and Minnesota would come back to win the game because I have absolutely no fear 
about Kirk Cousins going into Soldier Field and beating the Bears in a playoff game. None. And I'm terrified of playing Nick Foles in the defending Super Bowl champions. <laughs> so I'd be thrilled if we were seeing Kirk Cousins in that big contract this weekend. It's not the case. As a consolation prize to Kirk, I say he gets the weekly worst. Sounds good. Get him Congratulations. Congratulations, and, and, and keep cashing those checks. Yep. All right, so before we get into the games, I want to—I I told you I wanted to do something. I, I wanted to ask you what it is that you're going to remember the 2018 regular season for. It could be um, really anything. It could be a player. It could be players. It could be trends. It could be games. Um, I will give the floor to you because I just spent a whole lot of time talking about Kirk Cousins. Um I'll let you lead the way here, though. What what is uh, what sticks out from the 2018 regular season for you? Uh, I, I guess I could say parity. I mean that. Sure. I mean, I, I don't think I could ever remember, you know, going into the playoffs, there's 12 teams in the playoffs. I really wouldn't be surprised if any of them made the Super Bowl, to be honest with you. I am I mean, completely it, with you. And that's never, ever been the case. Um I mean, the two teams with home field, the Chiefs and the Saints, have both earned it. I don't think neither of them are unbeatable. Um, Mm -hmm. Over the last few weeks, they've both showed that they may have peaked maybe a little too soon. Um, I think the Saints' weaknesses, they really have no explosiveness at wide receiver other than Michael Thomas. Um, The Chiefs lost their running back and have been – Really, not quite the same since. Yeah. Um, would I be surprised if the Super Bowl was Chiefs and Saints? No, I wouldn't. Would I be surprised if both of them lost in their first game? No, I would not. So I just, I think that's the biggest thing. I just think there's coming in. There's there's just a lot of teams that could win, and I think there's a lot of. I think there's two players in this playoff that are maybe two of the most underappreciated guys in the league, and that's Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck. I I just feel like, you know, when people talk about the best quarterbacks in the league, neither of them really ever get mentioned, and I think both of them, too, do more with less than just about anybody. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. They're kind of both in this in-between era where we we weren't quite ready to give up the the Breeze Brady Rogers generation of quarterbacks. But everyone has been very quick to anoint Mahomes and Watson and Mayfield as the next guys up, almost as if Luck and Wilson aren't entering the primes of their career. And the really interesting thing about those two, um Aside from the fact that they're they're both at the point age-wise where they should be peaking, they, they've both undergone, their franchises have undergone these sort of resets mm-hmm. where now both teams are in position, again, to have success over the next five years, six years, however long you want to say that peak is, simply because they both teams sort of took a step back over the last couple of years. And now both teams have done a really good job of building those rosters back up. Um, 
especially in Indy's case, just completely reworking the whole roster. And we were talking about this a little bit off the podcast a couple of days ago. Indy has more cap space um, for, for this spring for free agency than any other team in the league. Um, so both of those teams are going to be in positions to succeed over the next couple of years, and, and it's all because they found their franchise quarterbacks five, six years ago. So I'm really glad you brought that point up. It, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I mean, if you look at it, Russell Wilson uh, has been great. He was brought – when he came into the league, he was brought into the league with a great running game and a great defense. Mm-hmm. Andrew Luck was brought into the league with a 1-15 team, did nothing, and they and they both went to the playoffs, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Colts, when Andrew Luck's been healthy, they've made the playoffs every year. They've made an AFC title game. Um, I mean, he went to Denver and beat Peyton Manning in a playoff game. I mean, it, it, to me, you get Andrew Luck, a, a, a guy, whether it be, you know, there's talk to Le'Veon Bella said he wanted to go to Indy. Um, you know, somebody, you get him a Le'Veon Bell. I mean. And honestly, I mean, who knows now with Antonio Brown with, with the, right. the situation in Pittsburgh. He is up for grabs, and, you know, they are a team that they lack a lot of depth at wide receiver. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, could you imagine if they ended up with Bell and Brown? It, yeah, I mean, right. I mean, and and still have Ebron and Hilton. Uh, right. It, it, it's possible. I mean, you look at, I, mean you look I, at, I think you look at I think Bell is much more likely, but um, they'll they'll get him guys. You look at but, the guys that Andrew Luck is throwing to, like. I mean, mm-hmm. T.Y. Hilton's a good receiver, but you look at the other guys, Don Charles Edmond, uh, Ryan Grant, uh, you know, I mean, he's Eric Ebron, looked like the first-round pick that he was. <laughs> yeah, for the first time. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like Matt Stafford's a bum. I mean, let's face it, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's not Andrew Luck, but he's not terrible. Right. Well, in in conjunction with your point, it, it's actually really interesting. What I what I jotted down for what I'm going to remember 2018 for the regular season is it being the first time where it felt like we were seeing a new era in the NFL. Uh-huh. And the a point that I was going to make, and I'm really glad you brought it up first, is that that's not just Mahomes and Watson and Mayfield, and even you know to to a, different degree, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, who both showed glimpses of being... Darnold, too. Darnold, too, time to time, but I, I, they're going to need to get him some help, and they will. They, the Jets are another team that, that cap situation-wise is in good shape. Um, Darnold, too, yes. But it, a lot of, you know, first, second, or third-year quarterbacks who are up and coming, but also... And I have this in my notes, and like I said, I'm really glad that you brought it up. Also, guys like Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson, these guys who are entering the primes of their career, um, and these teams are being built up around them, and they have good coaching staff. And it does kind of feel like we're entering the the period where 
it's the post Brady Rogers Breeze period. And the Patriots are still relevant and they will be as long as Brady's there and the Saints had the best record in the league. Um the whole Packers situation is a mess, I'm sure if they, they bring in a, a good head coach and they rework that roster a little bit, they'll be fine next year. But this was the first year where it really felt like, okay, the 2020s is, is going to be a new decade, literally and figuratively. It's going to belong to new blood. And it's not only in the quarterbacks, it's in the coaching. McVay, Nagy, Kyle Shanahan, who I, I think overachieved in San Francisco, considering they lost Garoppolo so early. Um, Frank Reich. And I'll even include older head coaches like Sean Payton and Andy Reid in this group because you could see that they have an understanding of where football is likely going. I mean, how about Doug uh, Peterson? I mean, Doug Peterson, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there, I, I just listed a few guys who, who will probably end up coming to mind before others in this category, but it, it does feel like half the league has found either their quarterback or their coach moving forward. I mean, as uh, the young coaches, the McVeighs and the Maggies, I think if you look at now who guys want to interview, I mean, look at now Cliff Kingsbury wants to get, is getting interviewed for NFL jobs. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma to Steve Lincoln Riley, they backed up the Brinks truck for him because yeah. they didn't want to lose him. You know, like uh, they want all these young, hotshot college coaches because that's kind of the trend. <laughs> and And it makes sense why – Vance Joseph got fired. Why why um Steve Wilkes got fired. Right. I mean the Cardinals had the third worst offensive DVOA in NFL history this year. You can't be a head coach in the NFL and not grasp where things are going offensively. You just can't. So to me twenty eighteen like Denver is I, I mean, I'm not trying to go off base here, but Denver interviewing all these defensive guys still like you you would think that you know they'd be like okay we got to get an offensive guy <laughs> right right <laughs> i mean you I mean, saw what happened when you pair someone like steve wilkes who for all i know could be a very good defensive coordinator right but when you you pair him in an unstable an unstable offensive staff around a rookie quarterback it's going to be horrendous that's exactly what happened in Arizona. That's what happened in New York with Sam Darnold. Yep. And now the, and it's exactly what happened with Jared Goff in in L.A. the first year before they hired McVay. And Trubisky with John Fox after that. Like, it is a trend, and there's enough body of work at this point where it's pretty obvious. If you're going to be starting over at quarterback – you need to have someone who's going to push the right buttons and put them in the position to succeed. And – more so than I think ever before, it feels like we're seeing these pairings of either coach or system with quarterback. And that is why this was one of the most exciting years in league history. And I also think that's why, as you mentioned before, there's so much parity. Because it does seem like quite a few teams hit these marks. Um, and that's why I think this first round of the playoffs is going to be uh, tremendous. So let's, uh, unless you have anything else that you want to add there, I think we should head into the games. Okay, one thing I do just, uh, I just gotta put out one, the, the greatest stat I, I may have ever seen in football was this year. 
Well, hold on. It, is this hyperbole, or are you, like, hyping this up, or is this legitimately one of the, the best this is stats you've ever one, seen? This is, like, one of the best stats I've ever seen. Wow, okay. I wish we had some dramatic, like, who wants to be a millionaire music to play behind this. Okay, go ahead. DeAndre Hopkins. Mm, yeah, I know where you're going. 115 receptions this year, zero drops. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean... Not one, not one time did he drop the ball. That's amazing. Mm. That that's incredible. Yeah, I, I I don't know for sure that I would really need to look at who the best receivers in the league were to, to make a definitive list. He is at the very least in the top three. Yeah, I mean, he he catches everything, and some of the. Some of the plays that he made this year with the ball after it was in his hands where he's running in the open field, um, he, he's just spectacular. Um, I mean, so yeah. going into the year, we talked about Brown and about Beckham and Julio Jones, and I think right now he's number one. DeAndre Hopkins. I got to take him. You don't I, I, don't think I'd, I, I don't think I'd argue with you. He, I mean, is it just me never hearing no? diva stuff with him like there's no there's no drama with him like I don't know I mean I'm not real sure about his game day attire the other day but hey <laughs> well when you're when you're when you're that good you're that good so I just want to bring that out want. there before, yeah I just wanted to I just wanted to bring that out there before we got into the games I just thought that was incredible it is it's incredible it was a great segue into our first game Saturday at 4.35 p.m. Eastern Time, ESPN, the number six seed Indianapolis Colts, 10 and 6, visiting the AFC South Division champion Houston Texans, 11 and 5. I should mention, we, we do the picks podcast every week um, before we get into this game, and we'll be picking these games, too. Um, you won the the season series. You were you you won eight weeks to to my six weeks, and we had three ties. But we finished with an identical record for the year. That's crazy. Each were uh, one hundred and twenty, one hundred and twenty-five with eleven pushes. So, uh, in in some ways, the the playoffs could be a tiebreaker of sorts. So the Texans are favored by two in this game. Um, division rivals, they split the season series. Each team won by three on the road. Um, let's uh, let's really dive into these games. Let's talk about them since we only have four to cover this week. Paulie, what, what uh, stands out to you about this matchup? Well, I, I would say uh, the game that turned the whole season around possibly was the first game with Houston, when Frank Wright said, I'm not playing for the tie, I'm playing to win. Mm-hmm. And it's a game that Houston ended up winning. But I think in that game, the Colts just took time to gain a lot of confidence in, in in each other. Like they thought, man, yeah. our coach just rolled the dice and he's playing to win. And, you know, after that game, I think they won 9 of 10. Uh, they went to Houston, won fairly easy a few weeks back. Um Colts defense, Darius Leonard's just been what a what a pick he's been. Uh mm-hmm. Colts had a really good draft because 
yes, between they him, did. And, and him and Quentin Nelson. I mean, uh, they they're both phenomenal. Uh, you know, Marlon Mack's been running the ball good. Um, Luck. You know, then you look at Houston. I mean, I mean, these are two of my favorite quarterbacks in the league. I mean, this is tough. Deshaun you must be very conflicted. I mean, I, I mean, I just these guys are. Got to be two of your two of your favorite non-Gators ever. Yeah, I mean, just winners. Uh, you know, they they do every you know they do everything for their team. I think you know both teams showed last year what their teams are like without them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, compared to with them. Um, you know, I thought long and hard about this game. I think that I'm going to take Indy. Hold on, hold on. Oh, 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 you, uh, I was going to say, let's let's build a suspense oh. a little bit. Oh, you're taking Indy though. That, that, that's that's fine. That's fine. It it uh, I actually agree with you. I had in my notes that 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 uh, that early season game, the the week four meeting, I felt like it was a turning point of the seasons for both of those teams because Houston was was winless at that point. Right. Indy was one and two. They they would eventually start one and five. But to me, it kind of felt like a game where both teams could walk away from it. Um, Houston with a with a literal victory, and, and they would can go on to win nine nine straight. Uh, Indy a moral victory, like you said. They hung in there. They they were down by eighteen in that game in the third quarter, forced overtime, and Reich went for it on fourth down late, and no team didn't get it. I agree with you. I feel like that moment set the tone for the rest of the year for the Colts, and it, it literally sprung a, a nine-game win streak for Houston. Um, the, and oddly enough, the, their second meeting was when that nine-game win streak ended for the, the Texans. So the Colts were at the front end and the back end of that. I... You know, it's an interesting matchup. Both games were decided by three. Indy kind of dominated the second game, but you can make the, the argument that Houston, you know, they're up 18 in the third quarter. They, they handled the majority of that game. Uh, it is it is difficult to define where either of these teams have a huge edge. To me, the, the, the one stat that, that stood out from both of these meetings was that as good as the Texans' defensive line is, Indy actually sacked Deshaun Watson more in those two games than Houston got to Andrew Luck. And that's that's a testament to how bad Houston's defensive line is. Watson was the most sacked quarterback in 12 years this year. Yeah, that was that was one of my main. I, I didn't get to that. That was that was one of my main things. That their offensive line is just. I mean, for a guy as mobile and as athletic as Deshaun Watson, he gets that that much. It's that's a bad. Well, I, I line. it is a bad offensive line. Though I, in doing my research, I, I saw quite a few pieces say you know. And you could, I'm sure, as big of a fan of Watson as you are, there are a lot of times where he just holds onto the ball too long. Oh, yeah. I saw a stat that he he held the ball longer before his average pass than all qualified quarterbacks except for Josh Allen. 
So he's holding on to the ball a lot. Now, whether that is his fault or receivers not getting separation, I, I don't know. But, the, you know, the eye test tells you the, the Texans line is awful. Um, the Colts have somehow reworked their offensive line in a year to become the what PFF had them rated as the third best offensive line in the NFL. Um, so that that was one area to me where I felt like Indy had an advantage. Um, I think both teams are going to be able to throw the ball all over each other. I think that there could be a lot of points in this game. Um, both teams are pretty good against the run. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if both of these teams kind of abandoned that early and just threw the ball over the place. Um, in their two meetings, Andrew Luck threw the ball 103 times. In those first two games, Watson threw an 80. So both quarterbacks were 40 attempts or over. Um, I would not be surprised to see that trend continue in this wild card game. Um, I, I really struggled with this one. I, uh, with you, I, I, I went with you. I eventually settled on Indy, but I don't feel great about it. One of the things that, that made me think twice was the fact that Kiki Kuki will be back for this game. He hasn't played the last five weeks, and he played that first game. He played the first meeting, and him and Hopkins combined for 21 catches, 278 yards, and a touchdown. I think the Texans having that second guy is going to be huge for them. And he showed glimpses early on that that he could be that second guy. He was qualified for that role. Losing to Marius Thomas was... Man, that second receiver spot. And, and Will Fuller. Just, uh, Fuller, yeah, too. Not, they not just snaked it there. Yeah. Um, Why is questionable with an elbow injury? I find it impossible that he will miss this game. Um, as limited as the, the the Colts are at wide receiver, they have four receivers listed as questionable for this game. And four defensive starters who are listed as questionable, Malik Hooker, Jabal Shear, Clayton Gathers, Tyquan Lewis. Um, given that it's a playoff, I imagine all of those guys are a go, even if they're limited. Um, I, I find it hard to, to see a scenario where this game isn't close. I, I think that is my big yeah. takeaway is that yeah, absolutely. I think this game could – go either way, and I think it's such a tone for the rest of the weekend and that all of these games could be really, really good. Mm-hmm. So I am with you. I took Indy. I don't feel great about it. Um, but I'm very excited for this football game. I have to be honest, I don't feel great about any of my picks this weekend. I don't either. <laughs> I, I I don't at all. This, this is the best wild card round of the decade. For sure. There are four legitimately good, entertaining, competitive games. Seven of the eight teams have at least ten wins, and the only one who doesn't is the defending Super Bowl champion. I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea who to pick to cover or to pick to win straight up. Right. Not a clue. I'm with you. Um, Saturday night, let's move on. Uh, 
8.25 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman on the call. It is the five seed, the Seattle Seahawks, 10-6. and six. Winners of six of their last seven games visiting the four seed, the NFC East champion, Dallas Cowboys, 10-6 and six winners of seven of their last eight. Um, I think this game is equally competitive to that first one, but in a completely different way. I don't think there will be nearly as many points on the board in, in this one. I don't think so. Um, they played way back in week three in Seattle. I I don't think either team was nearly as good as they were then as they are now. Oh. Dallas didn't have Amari Cooper. Um, Seattle, it didn't. They they didn't hit their stride until they went on that run. They were four and five, and then it really felt like they turned the corner there. Um, even so, I think in that game we saw versions of each team that are similar to what they are trying to do now, in that Zeke Elliott ran the ball for 127 yards. Chris Carson ran for 102 yards. Both teams are going to try to establish a run on Sunday to get their quarterbacks comfortable, to get them settled in, to get play action working. Um, Seattle won by 11. The biggest difference in that game, if you look at the entire box score, was that Dallas turned the ball over three times. Seattle has turned over three. So, Polly, where do you – two teams that, that do feel very even. Um, what were you looking at that, that made you favor one over the other? I mean, you know, you mentioned a lot of it. I, I just looked at these teams, and I, and I think they're a lot – very similar. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like looking into a mirror. Yeah, I, I mean um, – both defenses been playing really good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, both teams, great running games. You know, Seattle kind of does it with three, with uh, Carson and Rashad Penny. You know, he's a little banged up, but, I mean, I would imagine he, he's going to go a little bit. Mike Davis has been getting some carries. You know, but you know what Dallas is going to do. They just want to feed Zeke and, uh, you know, maybe some play action with that. Um Man, this was – what was the number on this game? Oh, I didn't even read the spread. I had Cowboys by ones. So basically a pick-em game. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that to me is is telling you Vegas is kind of on Seattle. Um, I am too. Uh, what it came down to to me is I just trust Russell Wilson a little more than Dak Prescott in this spot. Mm-hmm. Um I, I kind of trust Pete Carroll a little more than Jason Garrett. I, I think this game is going to be very close. Um, but, you know, you give Russell Wilson a chance in the fourth quarter and he's going to make you pay, and I, and I basically think that's just going to happen. I just think it's going to be close, and he's going to make a few more plays than Dak can, and, and uh, I think Seattle goes in and, and gets a win. Yeah, it, this one – I'm sure I will say this about every game. This one was actually probably the the most difficult to figure out who to pick. Um, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, very tough. They, they they really are mirror images in a lot of ways. Zeke Elliott led the NFL in rushing 
Um, Seattle as a team led the league in rushing. They, they had more rushing yards than any other team. Carson led the way with a little, 1151. Um, but then Davis, Penny, and Wilson combined for another 1300. So they're going to get it by committee more so than Dallas is. Um, but even on the other side of the ball, just insane linebacker play, really disciplined defense. It, it, it's like every mark you hit, these teams are very similar. Um, I, like I, like I, I really struggled. I eventually, I settled on Dallas. Um, I don't feel great about it. it for all the reasons that you laid out. I trust Seattle. I trust the coach more. I trust the quarterback more. Um, but I, I ended up watching a lot of that Cowboys game against the Giants in Week 17. They, they showed a lot of that on Red Zone, mainly because it was the only close game early. I think there was something to be said about the fact that Dak went out there and he played a really good game and he let them back in that game. And there have been a couple times where late in the year, really basically since they traded for Amari Cooper, that he has looked like the guy who is going to, to get a very big extension. He's going to be the guy that the Cowboys bet on to carry them into the 2020s and keep up with the rest of all these guys we mentioned about 20 minutes ago, the Mahomes, the Mayfield, the Wilsons, the Lux, all of those guys. Um, but Dak has had moments down the stretch where he has looked like the guy. That game against Philadelphia that they won in overtime in week 14, he looked like the guy. Against the Giants, and a game that the Cowboys did not need to win, and Zeke wasn't playing, he, he, he had those moments. And I don't know if that holds up in the playoffs against against Wilson, uh, against a quarterback who, who's been there in this situation before on the road in a playoff game. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking Dallas, I'm taking their defense, I'm taking Zeke, and I'm taking Dak to make just enough plays to keep up with, with whatever Russell Wilson is doing for Seattle. And I, I don't feel one bit good about that. <laughs> I know. I, I was I was doing my picks earlier, and I thought, geez, I just don't feel good about any of this. One thing that I found interesting, it, that, so their first meeting, Dallas held Wilson to negative one rush yards. But against the four most mobile quarterbacks that Dallas played, Wilson included, and that, then that's Cam, it's Deshaun Watson, it's Marcus Mariota. The Cowboys were 0-4 in those games. Cam rushed for 58 yards and a touchdown in the opener. Watson had 10 rushes for 40 yards. Mariota had 10 for 32 and a touchdown. I don't know if there's anything to this, but it does kind of seem like something Seattle may be able to exploit. And I think Wilson is a little more careful picking the spots running now than he – has been in the past, but he has a knack for making those plays in big spots in the fourth quarter where it's a third and eight and he scrambles for 15. Yeah. Um, so that kind of play, and he, and he spins way, out of it and, yeah. and, and ducks under another guy, and yeah. I mean, we, we've seen that a thousand times over the last six years. Yeah. yeah. Um, that kind of play is something that worries me about picking Dallas. Um, we'll see. I 
I, I think, though, as long as Van Der Esch plays and he's listed as probable, um, and as long as they get some, the Cowboys get Zach Martin and Tyron Smith back, um, Martin is probable. Smith, it, it still looks like he's questionable and may not play. But I think if they are healthy, they they are a slightly more talented roster. Um, but we'll see. Uh, before we get to the Sunday games, let's take a minute to talk about the presenting sponsor of the Jumbo Package NFL Podcast, Batavia's Original Pizzeria. Holly, we are two days into the year 2019, and that means we're approaching the 70th anniversary of the opening of the best pizzeria in western New York. All these years later, Batavia's original is still as delicious as it was back then. I don't know this for a fact because that was 43 years before I was born, but I'm sure it's the case. Um, I think it sounds good to say that. Paul, you've been alive for 13 years longer than I have. I'm sure it's safe to say Batavia's original is every bit as good now as it was in the 80s, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's it, to me, it's the place. I mean, you're never disappointed when you get food from there. Uh, you know, we say it week in and week out, uh, but it, it's a truth, man. It's a great service. Uh, it's it's run by great people. Uh, they do a fantastic job, and they put out great food. So uh, you won't be disappointed when you go to Batavia's Original, I can tell you that. I concur. Again, thank you to our sponsor, Batavia's Original. We look forward to taking our partnership into year two as you take your business into your 70th year of existence. All right. Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m., CBS, Jim Nance, Tony Romo on the call. It is the fifth-seeded Los Angeles Chargers. They are 12-4. and four. Visiting. The number four seed, Baltimore Ravens, winners of the AFC North, they are 10 and 6. The Ravens are a two and a half point favorite. And they narrowly, and I want to stress that, narrowly avoided dropping their week 17 game to Cleveland. Uh, they won 26 24. Uh, they were the beneficiaries of a, a questionable. Uh, well, it, it was called a fumble, but the play was blown dead. It would have been a touchdown for the, the Browns, a defensive oh. touchdown. Um, it was looking for a little bit there like it was deja vu of last year. They they, they won this game 26-24 last year. You rewind when they it was a win-and-in situation for Baltimore. At home, they were leading the Bengals 20. Divisional opponent with nothing to play for. They were leading 27-24 last year before giving up a 49-yard touchdown with about a minute to go. Um, nearly the same thing. They, they eventually pulled that game out. They, they intercept Baker Mayfield on fourth down. Um, the crazy thing is, going back to that fumble, obviously it's a touchdown if they don't blow it dead. Then how about mm-hmm. that first down when Cleveland gets the ball, Mayfield has Jarvis Landry wide open, and it hits yeah. the helmet. Yeah, he's going to score a touchdown. It's going to be a 95-yard touchdown pass to their best player. And he just, I don't know if he lost it in the lights or what, but it bounced right off his helmet. I mean, that's why, I, narrowly. There were there were plenty of times where 
it looked like the, the Browns were were going to win that game, or they could have won that game in, in hindsight. Um, with that said, though, I I think Baltimore. I'm glad that the Ravens are in the playoffs. I think that they are a better team than than that Steelers team that limped toward the finish line down the, the, the stretch of the year and had Antonio Brown feuding with teammates and Le'Veon Bell not there. Um, I am glad the Ravens are in. What a soap opera in Pittsburgh, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Ravens have played great down the stretch, and, uh, you know, this looks to be another great game to start off Sunday. Um these two teams played only two weeks ago, week 16 in Los Angeles. The Ravers, Ravers, the Ravers, the Ravens won 22 to 10 on a Sunday night. Um, that was a 16 to 10 game. The Chargers had the ball with a chance to drive and take the lead. And 53-year-old Antonio Gates fumbled on the second play of a drive. Uh, Tavon Young returned at 62 yards for a touchdown. Now, you could say that this was a closer game than the final score indicated, just based on the fact that L.A. was driving that fumble return pushed a six-point lead to 12. But if you watch that game, Baltimore dominated that game. Yes, they did. Um, with that being said, I, I think with the offense Baltimore plays, the Chargers may have seen the writing on the wall of what was coming in a few weeks. Um, you know, at that point, uh, they, they needed, you know, Seattle, Seattle hadn't beaten Kansas City yet. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't put all their eggs in that basket where. Completely uh, fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think, I think seeing that read option, you know, again, so close. Um, Lamar, Lamar Jackson said the other day after the game, the Chargers were the fastest defense they played. Um, I think think you kind of get your keys a little better. Uh, the Chargers, interesting fact here: the Chargers have not lost a game outside of Los Angeles all year. There were <laughs> that day is pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I just you know where I'm going here. I think the Chargers are going to win. I I just. Obviously, in this spot, I'm going to go with Rivers over Lamar Jackson. He hasn't made that big mistake yet. Um, I think I think the Chargers maybe will get a few a few of them on on Sunday. I think the Chargers' offense will be a little better. I think the Browns kind of showed them what you got to do. You, you got to just stretch them. I mean, you, you got to take your deep shots out, and the Chargers got big receivers to do so. Um, I, I think it's going to be a very good game. Again, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Baltimore won at all, but obviously you know I'm picking the Chargers. Yeah, that, and that's fair. I, I think that they're – I think that this is a situation where you could look at that first meeting and say, okay, there's a lot we could take from this game, or we could kind of just throw it out. And, and it seems like that's where you're going in that – I'm not throwing it out. I'm just saying. No, but maybe. But I mean, if you're if you're someone who thinks that the Chargers are going to win this game, and you're definitely not alone, you you are probably saying to yourself, "Well, what the Ravens did in that first game is not sustainable. Um, what they've been doing for six weeks is not sustainable. The Chargers will be able to better combat that." And I think that's where you're going with this. 
Um, I think you could also look the other way and say that there are certain things that the Ravens do the way that they are built that just present problems for the Chargers, and that's kind of where I tend to lean. Um, Eric Weddle, you know, he knows that offense pretty good, so, I mean, that's a big advantage for them. So, to me, it's a tricky matchup for the Chargers because defensively they've built a defense that is designed to slow the modern offense. They have two really good edge rushers in Bosa and Ingram. They have two great cover corners in Hayward and King. And they drafted Derwin James, who could do a little bit of everything. But the Ravens throw a wrench in all of that because they've completely reworked their offense since Jackson took over. They, they've run the ball 61% of their plays since he took over. They're the only other team in the league who's been above 50% in that stretch is Seattle. And the Chargers, according to Pro Football Focus, are the 28th best or that makes you the fifth worst team against the run in the league. Slipping it to the other side, the Ravens, they blitz a lot, and they blitz a lot up the middle. We saw that down the down the stretch in that game against Cleveland where they were sending a ton of guys up the middle and making Mayfield make quick throws, get it out of there quick, and they held them. They eventually got the interception, but it would have been a turnover on downs either way. Rivers is not a guy who's going to want to get out of the pocket and make throws. He's going to want to sit there, and he's going to want to pick teams apart. I think that if you go back and watch that first game that these two teams played two weeks ago, the Ravens stacked Rivers four times. They hit him another eight, and they brought a lot of pressure up the middle. Even if the Chargers didn't show the Ravens everything, I still think that's going to present a problem for the Chargers. Now, I think defensively, the Chargers are going to be able to force Jackson into mistakes. Even if you look at that first meeting, the Ravens ran for 159 yards against the Chargers. That's their lowest total of the Jackson tenure. So the Chargers did a reasonable job of slowing that run attack. I think that this game is going to resemble that first game in a lot of ways. It's going to come down to who gets that break. Does Antonio Gates or whoever fumble again? I just I, that's how I see this game going. I uh, you know I looked back at that first game and uh, obviously they won twenty-two to ten, but the one touchdown came on the fumble return and the one touchdown came on a big play. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they really – I mean, obviously the Chargers touchdown came off a turnover. So, I mean, the Chargers – I'm not saying uh, the Chargers did have one good drive that ended up getting two big pass plays called back early in the game on questionable calls. Um, and I think that kind of changed – you know, I think that kind of switched the momentum a little bit early in the game. Ravens caused them all kinds of problems with their passing game. Uh, Rivers had no time to throw the ball, like you said. He's he's not getting out of the pocket to make plays. Uh, the, the offensive line does have to hold up a little bit. Um, Melvin Gordon, a little healthier. Uh, yeah. Didn't have Eckler in that game, I don't believe. Um, I, I just think he, they're getting a few more of their guys back. Um, Hunter Henry might be back. Hunter Henry, they said he's they said he's probably going to play, which. Is crazy. On, a, on, a, on a snap count, but even still, if he, I mean, yeah, that, I that's mean, another he weapon. Him, he, he was an all-pro tight end. Right. 
I mean, Stephen A. had him playing four weeks ago, but he's just coming back now. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, even with a bum knee, he's got to be faster than 67-year-old Antonio Gates. So, yeah, it's uh, this game's going to be good. It's I, I don't see a whole lot of scoring, but you never know because you just don't know. I mean, a couple turnovers here and there, a few big plays, and here we go. I mean, I really didn't think that the Browns would be able to score as many points as they did on the Ravens last week either, but they hit them for quite a few big plays and missed out a lot more, but it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a good game. Um, Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Baltimore won, but I'm I'm bringing the Chargers right now, so. That's fair. Another one that I'm very excited for. Um, the, the the chess match in this morning is particularly interesting. Yeah. Because, it, like I said before, the Ravens are going to stop the run. They're they're a great run defense, and they they've been very good down the stretch ever since the, uh, Jackson came in. They haven't allowed a hundred yards rushing in a game since that point. They they've also only allowed three hundred yards passing twice in that stretch. The two guys, Mahomes and Mayfield, two guys who are very comfortable eluding the pocket, getting out, and making throws on the run. Like I said before, I just don't think Rivers is comfortable doing that. I think no, that they're going to send pressure up the middle. I think that makes a difference. Um, hesitantly, I will go Baltimore. It does not feel great as good and unique of a weapon as Lamar Jackson is. It doesn't feel great going with a rookie in his first playoff game against a guy as seasoned as Rivers and a team as talented on both sides of the ball as the Chargers, but that is where I lean. All right. Sunday. What time is going to kick in for you on Sunday? Um, it'll actually probably kick in Saturday night. <laughs> it, it'll be it'll be it'll be after that Seahawks Cowboys game. I'll be able to fully enjoy that, and then I'll be thinking, okay, this could be the last sleep before this Bears season has been um, one of the three best parts of 2018 for me, without a doubt. Um, it, it could be over. Saturday night could be the last time they go to sleep with this Bears season being alive. Um, 4:25 p.m. NBC has the call, which I love. I love that I'm getting Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth for this game. Um, and Michelle Tafoya and Kerry Underwood bringing the game in. Uh, so it's the, the six seed, nine and seven Philadelphia Eagles, who look like they were dead in the water. You, you for weeks, were telling me on the podcast it was time to write them off. I can to though. tell you, I continue to tell you, they're going to be the scariest team. Entering the playoffs. You and even jumped off the ship there for a minute. For a minute, for one week. For <laughs> one week I jumped off the ship. And I feel foolish for doing it because now it bit me in the ass because the Eagles are playing the three seed, my Chicago Bears, 12-4, and four, uh, winners of the NFC North. The Bears are favored by six, and that is way too many fucking points. My goodness. Okay. Um... So this is the only wild card game where there isn't a previous meeting to base some analysis on. But you could make the case that these two teams, much like Dallas and and Seattle are, 
this year. These two teams are mirror images of each other in some ways. This year's Bears team, in a lot of ways, is very similar to last year's Eagles team in that the quarterback was the number two pick in the second year and on a rookie deal. The playmakers were solid but no household names. Uh, the offensive and defensive lines are both terrific. And the head coach comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. Now, I don't think this Bears team is nearly as good as that Philly team was last year. And Philly had the luxury of having a first-round bye last year and the whole Nick Foles and and him being God's favorite player now that Tim Tebow is in the league. That That's not in play for Chicago. Um, but even so, the recipe is awfully similar. Um, with that said, it does not make me feel any better that this year's Bears team is playing this year's Eagles team. So I'm going to pass the torch to you. I'm going to let you go and, and, and say what you need to say, and I'll chime in after that. Um, obviously, the Bears are going to ride their defense. Um, yes. They, they've taken them this far. Um, they, they get turnovers. They put serious, serious pressure on the passer. Uh, the crowd is going to be going nuts. Um, what I'm going to need to see in this game, though, for the Bears, I'm going to need to see Trubisky make about three plays in the passing game that are going to have to be... I just got a stomachache. That just gave me a stomachache, just so you know. <laughs> I feel like the Eagles are, are going to... The Eagles' big hole is their secondary. They're all injured. So what the Bears are going to have to do is take advantage of that. The Eagles are going to do everything they can to stop the run because the Bears want to just run the ball, mm-hmm. control the clock, and what the Eagles are going to try to do is take that away. So Trubisky, they're going to have to come up with some play action, easy throws to start the game, you know, get them comfortable, and then maybe take some shots. But what it's going to come down to, I think, is their defense is going to get turnovers. And uh, they're going to put tremendous pressure on Foles, who's banged up. Um, I know this line is six. It seems high. It actually is rising from what it opened at which goes to show you again, Vegas is on the Bears. And I, I, I just, I, I like this, I like the Bears at home. I just don't see them. I, I mean, I know this is a tough matchup. They're playing the defending Super Bowl champs. They're hot. Um, but the Bears, the Bears have been hot all year. I mean, the last time, I think the Bears have won nine of ten, nine of their last ten. Uh, the last time they did that, I saw a stat, 1985. Mm. I mean, I'm not going that far, but I am <laughs> going to say this. They're they're going to the division around. They're going to knock off the Super Bowl champs. This <laughs> I hope you're right. I, 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 I don't think I feel nearly as confident as you do. It, so, well, you haven't, you haven't felt nearly as confident. All year, I mean, no, I, no, I have you have you have to you have to play this part. I mean, I know if we're, you know, I know your lock of the week would be Philly, and and you'd give me all this <laughs> stuff. So, let's hear. no, okay. Here's the truth. Legitimately, I think six is too much. Um, gun to my head, if I'm betting my life to win straight up in this game, I'm I'm picking the Bears. Um. I, like with no tricks or anything like that. I, I, I do think the Bears are a better team. Um, I, I, like you said, they've won nine of ten. 
They they are hot. It's at home, but it worries me. It really does because look, it, I, I think this game is going to be one on the offensive and defensive lines for both teams. Now, in a lot of situations, that if that's where the game is going to be won, I'm not worried about the Bears. However, the Eagles have three offensive linemen, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, who received top five PFF grades for their position. And their defensive line is so damn good. I mean, last week in a – a game that meant something, but it was against the quarterback who is garbage. But Fletcher Cox had three sacks. He wrecked that game. And we've seen him do that time and time again. Just completely dominate. Um, stopping the run and rushing the passer. I worry that, okay, what happens if, if that offensive line holds up and we can't rush the passer like we do? What happens if we can't run the ball and, and Trubisky's under pressure and is forced into the pressure throws? What happens then? You're, you're doing a lot of that, that it hasn't happened to a all year. But here's the thing. That's a legitimate worry. Have they played a team in that stretch where the offensive line and defensive line are that good? What happens if Max hits foals on the first play and knocks him out of the game because his ribs are Oh, for sure. It's in play. Like I said, gun to my head, with no tricks or re- reverse jinxes involved, I think the Bears are a better team. I do think that six is too much. I think that this game will probably be low scoring. Um, That's because as, they, favor. as banged up as the Eagles secondary is, I haven't seen Trubisky be able to take advantage of that in teams that don't have a good secondary. I haven't seen him be able to advance the ball down the field like that. I Truthfully, I thought this Bears, this line would be Bears minus three, maybe minus four. Um, six just seems high to me. I Especially, too, because we have three wide receivers who are all questionable. They all practice today, but... Gabriel Miller and Robinson are all questionable for this game. They're all banged up. I don't know if Eddie Jackson is back. Um, so I'm concerned. I think it's close. I think I'm going to have to sweat it out. I am going Philadelphia plus six. And you can't make me feel bad about it. No, I mean, you picked against the Bears every week this year, so I... <laughs> and you know what? They've gone, nine and, they've gone nine and one in that stretch since I've been doing it. I mean, I, I've uh, you've been basically telling me every week how how they're going to get beat. No, I've been telling you every week that the, their opponent is going to cover <laughs> because they have been favorites in a lot of those games. Yeah, who is their one I loss? Think, I, I think uh, New England. Oh no, New England was before that. Uh, the Giants. Oh yeah, the Giants. The second game that Chase Daniel played. Yeah, overtime, right? Yeah. They nearly won that game. They they got the onside kick and everything. All right, so we have we have three different. We both went Indy. I went Dallas. You went Seattle. I went Baltimore. You went LA. I went Philadelphia. You went Chicago. This is good. I went I went all dogs but the Bears and you went all or you went two favorites, two dogs. 
Yeah. All right, my friend, do we, do we want to make quick national championship game predictions? I mean, you, you look at it, they've been the two best teams all year. Um, you know, there's people talk about, you know, we need a playoff, we need a bigger playoff. Uh, That's me. I, I know I know that is you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at it, buy it. And I'm looking at it, and I'm going, do we? Because, you know, every year the playoffs, I mean, last year Oklahoma-Georgia game was close. But if you look at the playoff games, they really haven't been close. Uh, Georgia ends up losing to Texas. Michigan gets stomped by Florida. Central Florida gets beat by LSU. Those are all teams that would have been in an 18 playoff that lost the teams that wouldn't have been. Um, I, I just think we're getting the – this year we're getting the two best teams. They've been the two best teams all year. Uh, you're looking at the number one pick in the draft next year in uh, uh, Tua and the number one pick in the draft in two years, and Trevor Lawrence. Um, he, both these coaches, uh, with Urban Meyer retiring, they're one and two. So this is going to be a great game. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take Alabama as much as I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I, I hope Clemson wins, but I'm gonna have to take Alabama. Um, I, I just think they're too loaded. I'm actually going the other way. I, I really like what I saw from Clemson, I, I, and I've liked them all year. I didn't when I when we got to this point, I didn't think I would be prepared to pick Clemson. I thought I was just gonna pick Alabama to roll. I think they're vulnerable though. They, they, you, you could you could make the case they should have lost to Georgia in the SEC championship. Oklahoma had way more success against them than I thought they would, and maybe that's just a testament to to how good Oklahoma is. Uh, maybe they're just better than I thought they were. Um, but I, I think with with that defensive line that Clemson has, with so many guys who are going to be first or second round picks, and with, as you put it, the, the quarterback who's going to be the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence, two years from now. Um, I think they get the win. I'm taking Clemson. I'll take them straight up. I'll take them getting the uh, six and a half or seven, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I'll be bold. That'll be my Batavia's original bold pick of the week. I, I do got to say, Clemson's got some dudes playing wide receiver, man. And, yeah. and if they could if they could stretch if they could give Trevor Lord some time, they're, they're going to take some shots down the field on this team, and, and that's going to be the recipe for success. If they could, you know, get Travis Etienne, you know, a little bit of effective running the ball, and hit you know T Higgins and, and some of them other guys, you know, on big plays down the field like they like they did last week. I mean, they, I wouldn't be surprised if they won. I, I, I'm actually pulling what you do. With the Bears, I'm kind of hoping Clemson wins. Of course, you know. So, so then, so then you definitely can't give me shit for it. No, I, I mean, but, the, but Clemson's not my favorite team, so yeah, they, they might as well be. They're they're definitely your number two. <laughs> you think Clemson's my number two? Dabo Sweeney is is your Andy Reid. He yeah, he is. I, I like Dabo, man. I mean, how can you like Dabo? Clemson for you is like the Chiefs are for me. Yeah, they are. They are. You, you wouldn't yeah, you wouldn't root for Clemson over Florida, but everyone else you're going to root for Clemson. Pretty much. 
Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> something something with the orange. That must be it. <laughs> All right, buddy. This has been fun. I feel like we've we've done a good job going in depth on all these games. Uh, we will have a lot to talk about next week. The, the, the divisional round is arguably the best weekend of football of the year. Uh, four playoff teams again. It's the Elite Eight, uh, and it should be fantastic. We should have four more very competitive, very up-in-the-air games, and we'll have a national championship game to talk about. Polly, the last word, as usual, is yours, my friend. Uh, you know, I, this this will be my last week at 40. Next next week when we do this. Oh, wow, It'll yeah. my birthday, so I'll really be a man when we talk again, maybe. Um, Holy cow. So, you know, I... I'm really looking forward to the for for the playoffs this week uh, to get underway. Championship game Monday night. Uh, great three days of football. Um, I'm kind of in, in uh, football uh, coma right now. I, I watched <laughs> it for four straight days. I was really missing it today. Uh, but hope you all enjoy the podcast. Um, a little playoff talk. Sunny, Paulie, enjoy it. Have a good night.